The Online Marketing Show. Every day with Joseph Bushnell. Helping you to grow your online business by driving more traffic, improving conversion rates, increasing customer value, and getting things done fast. Listen, take action, make money. Hello, welcome to the Online Marketing Show. This is Joey Bushnell. Today's special guest is a top direct marketer. His name is Brian Kurtz. Go to briankurtz.me to find out more. Brian, thank you for coming on the show. Oh, thanks, Joey. I'm, uh, when I, 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 I had, I, we didn't know each other. I guess we linked in or we, we had connected in some way and I saw some of the people that you're connected to and I'm like, how am I not connected to this guy? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you've interviewed some of my heroes and, uh, so I'm so honored and flattered to be here, given the fact that, you know, you interviewed, uh, you know, Perry Marshall and John Carlton, among others. And, and uh, I'm, uh, I'm just I'm, I'm flattered to be here. Thank you. And I'm very flattered to have you on the show, Brian. So, Brian, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your life in direct marketing? Yeah, you know, I, I kind of uh, got to this point now where I start talking about myself as a, a serial direct marketer. Um, I and, and I was trying to think about it, you know, this morning as I was thinking about this interview and how do you become a serial direct marketer? And, you know, I, I was uh, I was an English major in college. I you know, I was a pretty good writer. I wanted to be a film critic and didn't know I, I had a pretty good sense of business and I kind of like business, but I didn't know where I, it would go. But I realized that from a very young age, and I guess a lot of people on this call could probably relate to this, is that we're all kind of needy in terms of getting feedback in terms of getting people to pat us on the head when we do something good and to tell us that something worked or didn't work and for them or, you know, uh, how your behavior was. And I kind of realized that, you know, that direct marketing is like the, the ultimate marketing answer to anybody who's a really needy person in terms of needing feedback on a regular basis. So, you know, to me, direct marketing, you know, if I had to define it of what it really is, and it's it's not about a channel, it's not about direct mail, it's not about the internet, it's not about television or radio or print advertising, it's about getting response that pays for itself. It's about getting a return on your investment of your advertising. It's about making sure that every penny you spend in what you want to try to achieve in terms of your message is getting is being paid out in some metric that's acceptable to you. I mean, there are metrics in direct marketing where you, uh, you know, you lose a lot of money in year one or two. And the whole concept of lifetime value, if we want to talk about that later, is something that should not be lost on anybody who is is marketing in any medium today. And all of that is is direct marketing. It's all about getting a, a response from a particular location, um, different me- whatever the media might medium might be, and making sure that you can track it, making sure that there's a return on investment, making sure that you can track some sort of lifetime value of a new customer of an existing customer, and you know, to me, that's been my whole life. I mean, I've been doing this for 33 years. Um, I started in the list side of the business in direct mail, mm-hmm. and whether that's a good place to start or not, I think when as I look back on it. I think it was a great place to start because it, it really enabled me to understand audiences and demographics and, you know, what it's really about in terms of, 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 of picking an audience or finding an audience that is relevant to the product or service that you have. And, you know, we know that the creative is important and we know that the offer is important, but I learned at a very young age that the list, I'm not saying the list is the most important. You know, there's a, there's a direct marketing formula, 40, 40, 20. You know, 40% less, 40% offer, 20% creative. I don't necessarily believe that. I think that it depends on the product and the service and what you're doing and the media medium that you're working in. But I will tell you that coming out of the list business uh, was such an amazing adventure for me. And now, 33 years in, trying to figure out what I really want to be when I grow up, I realize that the next 33 years is really about taking that knowledge that I that started in the list business in 1981 in direct mail and kind of taking all of that and kind of bringing it um, into the present day on a regular basis. And I think I, I just think I have a lot to contribute and a lot to share. So um, that's sort of the quick history without getting into, 
you know, the specifics of how many, you know, the billions of pieces that I've been responsible for. I, you know, there's an old expression. I thought John Wayne said it, but I think Dizzy Dean, the baseball pitcher said it that, you know, if, if, if it's not bragging, if you did it. Um, but I, I don't, and I don't like to just throw out numbers. I'm not a, I'm not a, you know, people who know me, I'm, I don't look to brag about anything. Um, I'm very conscious of the, my con, I'm very conscious of my contribution to the industry at large and what I've done for 33 years. And I want to continue that. And so to me, direct marketing is my life. I just love it. Um, and, uh, I, it's very hard for me to differentiate most days between my work and my play because, um, it's all tied up in what I've been doing for the last 33 years. Brian, what's the name of your company? It's a very famous direct mail company. So the company is Boardroom Incorporated, uh, B-O-A-R-D-R-O-O-M, which sounds like a misnomer thinking I'm in some kind of business to business kind of uh, environment. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, the guy who founded the company, Marty Edelston, uh, founded the company in 1972. Um, and the first publication he did was Boardroom Reports, which was basically teaching business people how to run their business better, how to, how to do things that they weren't going to learn in the Wall Street Journal or Business Week or Fortune or Forbes. And Marty was a voracious reader of business books. So he just wanted to teach businessmen and entrepreneurs how to run their business better. And the company kind of branched out into the consumer side with it. I got here in 1981 and we had just launched bottom line personal, which actually now is our flagship newsletter. In, in a lot of ways, the company should be called bottom line personal or bottom line publications, but it's still called boardroom because of that heritage back in 1972 of being sort of this direct marketing, um, uh, I don't want to say factory, but certainly this direct marketing company that really understood direct mail as well as anybody. And Marty was an incredible student of that. Um, so the company has kind of evolved into very much a consumer publisher of mostly books and newsletters, uh, both online and offline, and a big emphasis in the health category. So, you know, going from boardroom reports in 1972, teaching business people how to run their business better, uh, all the way to eight, 1981, we launched Bottom Line Personal, teaching the that same entrepreneur how to run their personal life better and then branching into there's an expression that Wayne Gretzky, the great hockey player, used to say, it's like, you know, you go where the puck is, you go where the puck is going. And we saw the puck going in this whole health category and we knew we had the contacts um, in bottom line personal to do tremendous information in the health in the health area. And then we just um, created an incredible line of, of health books and. We have a health newsletter called Bottom Line Health, and we did a, uh, that became sort of the, the biggest category. But we didn't forget about the other categories as well. You know, we still do a lot in the finance area. We do a lot in uh, personal improvement, um, but much more consumer and very little business now. So when that's why I had to give that whole explanation, because I say the company's called Boardroom Incorporated, and people who wouldn't know us would say, oh, that sounds like some business publisher. Mm -hmm. And it's basically just that direct marketing iconic name the reason why we never changed the name of the company from boardroom to bottom line is that boardroom had this heritage, mm -hmm. uh, which people recognized as a direct marketing company and bottom line personal or bottom line publications wouldn't have had that, that heritage or history. Brian, you're holding a fantastic event coming up in September, 2014 called the Titans of direct response. Uh, I think it's the most incredible lineup of direct marketing speakers I've ever seen. So could you please tell us about it? Yeah, I mean, I'm not, you know, we, we had decided on this call, you know, this was not a, an opportunity to sell anything. Um, however, my whole life being in direct marketing, this event is like a dream come true for me. Um, it basically is exactly what I was talking about at the beginning of this interview, that how can I contribute further to an industry that needs the education that I've been able to accumulate through my mentors and through what I've learned over the last 33 years and how can I bring that to the forefront with people who are still around? I mean, a lot of people that are my mentors happen to be dead, unfortunately. I mean, the big, the, the, the great news about having mentors who are really older than you is that you get this incredible wisdom. Mm -hmm. The really bad news is that they, you usually outlive them. Mm -hmm. And so I've, I've watched a lot of my mentors pass away over the last decade. Um, one of whom was Martin Elston, the person who started Boardroom back in 1972 and we worked together for all of that 33 years. He just died last October. So just quickly, the, the, um, you know, uh, I was racking my, this is in the sales letter for the event, but 
I, I rack my brain, you know, what am I going to do for Marty's eulogy? It's like, you know, 33 years of being a partner in this business, uh, taught me everything about entrepreneurship, taught me everything about direct marketing. Um, and I didn't know what to do and what to say about him. So I ended up, you know, the night before the funeral coming up, usually you come up with the best things. If you're a writer, you come up with the best things under pressure. And I came up with these four pillars that kind of, kind of, uh, epitomize why Marty did extraordinary things when he said he was just some ordinary guy from Newark, New Jersey. And after that, delivering that eulogy, you know, I started sharing it with a bunch of people and, and all of a sudden I got a letter from none other than Dan Kennedy. Uh, I'm sure a lot of your audience knows who he is and mm-hmm. probably, I, I don't know of a more iconic, uh, information marketer, but don't let, don't let, don't let the information marketing tag fool you. Dan Kennedy is a direct marketer through and through. Uh, he understands direct response and direct marketing as well as anybody in the world. He sent me a beautiful note about Marty. He said, you know, Marty epitomized what, what direct marketing was all about, what entrepreneurship was all about, what being kind of a mensch was all about, being a really good person and, and, and still be a tenacious marketer. And I sent Dan, you know, the, the excerpts from my eulogy and one thing led to another and he started blogging about it to his audience. And I went to Dan and I said, let's do an epic event. Let's do an event that honors not just Marty, but kind of the titans of direct response because we're teaching this stuff. It's falling on a lot of deaf ears uh, as far as the kinds of training that a lot of new online marketers need today. I don't want to sound like grandpa saying I got to teach you these things, but I think that there's a lot of really good lessons out there still with a lot of people who are still alive and willing to teach them. So one thing led to another. I went to visit Dan. We kind of put together this whole event. He's not he's not my partner in the event. He's just my special guest. Um, and then I started putting together who I thought the Titans of Direct Response would be for me. And they'd be people that were connected to either boardroom in some way, connected to Marty in some way or my personal mentors or all three. Um, and from there, we got Joe Sugarman, who is somebody who I learned copywriting from at a very young age. Uh, and also product development. I got Jay Abraham, who if people don't don't um, don't look at their careers and how they got into marketing, uh, kind of pushing. It. Most people source Dan Kennedy as the person they learn their first things from in terms of direct response. But if they're not Dan Kennedy, they're usually Jay Abraham. Mm-hmm. Um, then Dan said, we really need to get someone great in direct response television since Boardroom has done some amazing stuff in the infomercial world and I do believe in multi-channel marketing in a big way. And I think we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. So he, we went and got what I thought was the number one guy in, in TV and multi-channel marketing. And that's Greg Ranker of Guthy Ranker, which is, you know, the largest infomercial company in the world. Um, so Greg is also speaking. I got Ken McCarthy, who to me is one of my personal mentors. He did the system seminars for many years. Really one of the, I, I said if Al Gore, if Al Gore invented the internet, Ken McCarthy invented Al Gore. Um, <laughs> you know, Ken McCarthy was one of the pioneers on internet marketing and yet came out of a traditional direct response background. And then because I'm so, um, immersed in the copy and co- copywriting side of the business, I'm not a copywriter, but I've worked with all the best copywriters in the world. Um, I decided to put together a round table at this event of what I call the Mount Rushmore of boardroom copywriters who are four copywriters who are responsible for the sending of 650, close to 650 million pieces of direct mail since 1995. And we didn't just send them willy nilly. We'll talk about why, why I love direct mail so much, but if I didn't send 650 million pieces of direct mail to lose money, let's put it that way. And so I had the four copywriters who are responsible for the lion's share of that. And that's Paris Lampropolis, David Deutsch, uh, Eric Bethwell and, and, um, Arthur Johnson, uh, four of the best copywriters in the world. Now, that doesn't mean that people like John Carlton and Clayton Makepeace are not, um, Titan copywriters as well. Um, but they didn't have the controls for boardroom, but they're also Titan copywriters and people that I've worked with. And then the, t- the, t- the, the cherry on top was Gary Bensavenga, who I think is America's best living copywriter, retired, uh, swore that he would never speak again, came to me and said, I'm coming out and speaking at this event because what you mean and what Marty meant to me and what boardroom meant to me uh, is far more important than my vow of silence. So Gary Bensavenga, who is probably the one of the best teachers of copy and creative, and he did his Bensavenga 100 
seminar some years ago, which was touted as the best copywriting seminar ever. Um, and Gary will be speaking as well. And then we also got the number one guy in direct response radio, uh, Fred Katona, uh, who I don't know well, I have to admit. Um, but Dan Kennedy felt that getting somebody uh, to cover radio would be important. And I didn't have anybody else who could do that. So we got him. And then I also created um, um, a, um, a roundtable of my personal mastermind of three other incredible titans, maybe not of all direct response, but um, one is Ryan Lee, who a lot of your listeners probably know well. Uh, one is Jim Quick, who they might know, and one another is Michael Fishman. And the four of us make up uh, a mastermind group, and I can't do anything without the three of them. And the beauty of masterminding and accountability is such an important concept in all of this. You know this better than anybody as someone who's out there, you know, inter- interacting with, with the greats that, you know, you don't, you don't do this alone. And then Perry Marshall, and I'm going to open up day two with Perry. Uh, Perry, I did a one day workshop with last year and Perry is a close friend. Perry is one of the most important speakers, obviously, because he to me represents a bridge, um, like I am between the past and the present. He's younger than me too. Um, but Perry, don't let Perry fool you either that he's not a student of direct response um, at the core level and knows all of these people that are speaking. And yet Perry, you know, is the guy that some people think is the Google Edwards guy, which he is. But, you know, Perry is a direct response titan. So anyway, very excited about the event. I think it's, it is going to be a once in a lifetime kind of situation. And um, I guess at the end I can give more details of it, but I wasn't on the call to sell it. I was actually... Um, I wanted to talk about it at this at this length only because it really epitomizes everything that I rep- that I that I want my life to represent going forward. And so it's um, it is a dream come true to be on the stage with all of these people. It is. It's going to be an absolutely epic event. Uh, a lot of amazing speakers speaking there. It's an incredible lineup, and I'm sure the people in the crowd are going to be great to be networking with as well. So we'll get to some of the details of that at the end of the call if anyone is interested in going. We'll talk more about that at the end of the call. So in the meantime, let's talk about direct response. What channels do you like to use in direct response marketing? Yeah, I think that almost any channel is is appropriate for direct response marketing. And if you're using any channel and not um, uh, monitoring it and measuring it um, like we have in direct marketing my whole career, um, I think you're making a huge mistake in terms of, you know, no matter how cheap the media is. You know, email being cheap doesn't mean that you shouldn't track it properly and make sure that you're getting a return on your investment. So um, as far as what I use, I mean, I... Um, I told this recently in another, in another interview that I bought, I bought on GoDaddy, I bought the URL and I'm not using it, so it'll be blank if you go there. But I bought the URL, single channel marketing is so boring.com. And the reason why I bought it is so I could be on this interview to tell you that I bought it. Uh, <laughs> but the reason why I bought it is to prove a point that, you know, to me, um, if you're in a single channel, you're making just a huge mistake. Uh, in terms of the longevity of your business. I mean, if you want a series of revenue events and you want to just make money short term, sure, you know, you can just be in email, you can just be in direct mail, um, you can just be in TV. I think if you want to build a business for the long haul, you really want to always think in terms of what other channels might work for me, uh, given my product and service and how am I going to get into those, those product areas. Um, I think that, you know, I, I've said at various internet conferences that anybody who calls themselves an internet marketer, I think is being kind of silly because why would you want to define yourself by a channel? Mm-hmm. You know, a be, that's why being a direct marketer or a direct response marketer to me who uses a lot of channels and can look for different solutions in different channels is, is critical. And the beauty, you know, the, the, the best successes I've had in my career are when I've been able to combine channels and be able to, um, uh, have them work together in, in concert. So, you know, uh, we had a direct mail product. I told this story many times. It's actually on my, on my website, uh, this interview with Perry, Mar- uh, with Perry Marshall. That's correct. Perry interviewed me and asked me about my three biggest successes. And one of them was, you know, being able to take a direct mail product for a health book, bring it into infomercials and TV, bring it back to direct mail and then also advertise on the internet. And all of that was over $300 million. Uh, in business, and it would never have been anywhere near that if I was just sitting in one channel. Um, two quotes I'd like to tell you. One of them is um, 
someone who I know you've interviewed is um, uh, John Carlton. And John Carlton always likes to say a, a promotion is not a business. You know, a lot of people online confuse a winning promotion uh, in an affiliate environment or something that's working um, online as a banner or some kind of funnel as a business. Uh, that's not the business. Mm-hmm. That's a successful promotion. You know, you have to beat them. In fact, I'm going to blog today about this idea of the control is your enemy and that as soon as you get something that works, the key is to beat it with something else, mm-hmm. whether in that medium or in another medium. And that's how the great copywriters became great copywriters. They not only were beating other people's control packages and other people's winning packages, winning promotions, but they were also beating themselves when they got a winner. Um, so a promotion is not a business, as John Carlton. There's another guy, Chris Farrell. Have you interviewed Chris Farrell? I haven't yet, no. He's on my list. Yeah, I think he's in the UK as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and Chris um, uh, has, has a quote that I love, which is, a product is not a business. Um, mm-hmm. you know, the idea of having one product and not having multiple products, that's direct marketing. You know, there, there's a kind of a duh, uh, expression in direct marketing that no, no direct marketing business can succeed without repeat business. Mm-hmm. Now, everybody on this call should say, oh, this, who, who the hell is Joey interviewing here? This guy's an idiot. Uh, of course I know that. Um, but you know what? Um, if you're not thinking about products two, three, four, and five when you're launching product one, that's not, where that's not going to create a business. And if you're not thinking about what media might work for that product beyond the initial media. Now, the beauty of, of online and email is that it is so cheap. So it is a great place to start. You know, we, 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 you know I've done a lot of launches. You know, the word launch was not, was not invented by an internet marketer, by the way. I've been doing launches since 1981. And we launched in direct mail for the most part. And that's really expensive. And I'm not saying it's a bad way to go, but today... You know, having the internet and email in particular at your disposal and, and various affiliate opportunities, um, clearly you can get an assessment of the interest for your product or service uh, a lot faster and a lot cheaper than I was able to do in the 1980s launching through direct mail. But I will tell you that to ignore direct mail and to ignore print advertising and to ignore the possibilities of TV and radio, do that at your own risk. Uh, and that's why, you know, going back to Titans, that's why I wanted to have all of those different uh, media represented because I want to give people how to's, how to get into those businesses. We can't do that in, the, in this interview today. Um, but I can tell you that they all they all can intertwine. They all can work together. And so, you know, that that's what I have to say about multi-channel. And you know, frankly, you know, having come out of the direct mail world, it's been more of a struggle for me and my company to go to the online world with products that are physical products. It's actually easier to go the other way, but I, I don't see enough people going from, and there are the, the people who are working online exclusively have found the secret of direct mail. They found the secret of physical product. I remember sitting at underground the, you know, two or three years ago. And it was on a Saturday morning speaker, and he was going to tell us the deep, dark secret of Internet marketing. And the deep, dark secret, I'm going to whisper into my microphone for effect, but the deep, the deep dark secret of Internet marketing was physical product. You know, basically, you know, someone had discovered that if you deliver physical product as opposed to digital product, there might be actually a higher perceived value, and you might actually get customers to stay on your list longer and to buy more products from you. To me, that's a dub. That, but for a lot of people, they didn't understand that. And there were actually people in that audience, which was great, that basically said, wow, physical product. I could create DVDs and CDs and actually have have a have a higher value business. Isn't that cool? Yeah, very cool. So the direct response principles and golden rules of direct response, do they differ depending on the channel or the medium that you're using? Or is it always the same rules applying no matter what? That's a great question. I think in general, they, they are the same. In fact, you know, there's a book that we published called, uh, Secrets of Successful Direct Mail, which was written by Dick Benson, uh, who was one of the pioneers in direct mail in the fifties and sixties and seventies and, and eighties. I mean, he did it for almost 50 years and he's got these 31 rules of thumb and there are things in there like the word free is most important and, you know, offering multiple products in the same offer is only than a depressed response overall because of the confusion factor. And so he's got rules of thumb that all apply today. 
I think one of the biggest differences is going back to this thing about the online being so much cheaper. Mm-hmm. And I think that the ability to, and I, I just blogged about this last week, the ability to, um, to, uh, offer content for free on, on a more regular basis and not have to sell anything and not have to lose your shirt spending money doing that is incredibly, it's much more, it's much easier to do that than it was for us when we were basically living in a direct mail world where we had to pay postage and printing. There was an expression that Gordon Grossman, one of my mentors who helped build Reader's Digest in the 1960s, and he said, you know, in direct mail, everything has to sell something because you can't afford to just send out a direct mail piece and tell people how much you love them and give them content and be and have fun with them. It's just too expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, however, the, what, we de- what, we, what we decided in direct mail is that we were going to start violating the rule of direct mail, which was you only give away the sizzle, you don't give away the steak. So you only give away, you know, fascinations and, and, and uh, bullet points, and then they have to get the product to get the answers. And we learned in the 80s and 90s that it was okay to give away some, some of the content in the direct mail package. But you didn't give away all of it, of course, because you still had to sell because you were paying so much in postage. Mm-hmm. Now, flip that around today um, in in email marketing. I think people go in for the kill way too early in terms of selling. I think that, you know, the good online marketers um, understand uh, how to give away great content uh, over, a, over a longer period of time without selling anything um, and then you know, eventually when I say going for the kill, I mean, it sounds terrible, but you know, when are you going to go in, when are you going to try to sell something? You sell something after you develop the relationship. Mm -hmm. And it was very hard to do that in direct mail. It's very easy to do that in email. You know, uh, Dean Graciosi, who's a a great marketer in the real estate niche, uh, and, and a good friend has a great quote that says people refund transactions. They don't refund relationships. Mm -hmm. And I, again, that was part of my blog last week, which was, you know, I developed this email list of people who were reading my weekly emails about my history in direct marketing, and I hadn't sold them anything until I sent them a link to the Titans of Direct Response event. And I was almost like the reluctant seller at that point. It's like, wow, I'm going to sell you guys something now. We have a relationship. Please don't unsubscribe, even if you don't want to come to the event. And the most rewarding thing was that, yeah, a bunch of people signed up for the event from my list. But the more rewarding thing is I got zero unsubscribes and zero complaints. So I said to myself, I've done a good job developing that relationship. So if that's, that's probably the biggest difference I see mm-hmm. in, in, in a direct response um, uh, environment, online versus offline. But I will tell you that, you know, that online marketers understanding that good creative is not a flashing red box with an arrow. Um, <laughs> You know, writing great copy is great copy. You know, Gary Halbert has the great line that the great copywriter Gary Halbert said, you know, every business problem can be solved with a, with, a, with a great sales letter. Every every business problem can be solved with a great business, a great sales letter. And I think that spending a lot more time on your copy and creative. And I'm, I'm hoping that I haven't listened to your interview with Carlton, but I'm sure he, he emphasized that in a big way. And I'm sure mm-hmm. some of your other folks have as well. And Perry, um, so, you know, the, the value that people put on, on creative is just, uh, uh, I think it needs to be a lot higher than it is because, again, I think it's easy to get sloppy in email, uh, because it's so cheap. But, but the answer to your question is that, you know, if you look down the rules of thumb and maybe on follow up, I don't know if you, when you, when the interview goes out to people, you can send a link and I, I can give you the 31 rules of thumb that Dick Benson had for direct mail. And I will bet you that I have to I have to go back and look at them and, and see how many might not apply to, to other media. But mm-hmm. I'm guessing they almost all do in some respect. Yeah, that would be great. We'll, we'll put a link to that on the blog and in the show notes of the podcast. So would you say that because you had to pay for postage and printing costs that you were basically forced to become a better marketer? You couldn't even afford to be sloppy. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'll say if you want, I, I did a, uh, I did a, an article for Copy Blogger, which is a great, a great site for for people looking at creative and direct response. Um, and I did a, a piece for them that was actually just that. It was 
you know, how paying postage made me a better, a better marketer. And if we want, we can, I can give you the link to that article as well. And basically what I talked about there, I think I had nine different things in that article that basically said why I thought paying postage made me a better marketer. And, you know, talking about the concept of when you're paying 500 or $600 per thousand to put something in the mail, as opposed to spending a dollar per thousand to put an email out, Mm -hmm. you've got to think things through a lot differently. Um, you've got to, everything's got to be perfect. Whereas I, and I'm not saying, you know, again, done is better than perfect. And and even in direct mail sometimes, but I think in email, it's so easy to just slap it out there, so to speak, you slap it together and throw it out there that I think that, um, the discipline that we had in terms of having to pay postage and printing and all of that made us really aware of the care that we put into the creative and the offer and the list selection um, before we did anything. And I think that those, and then I have a bunch of other things in that article about the kinds of thinking that went into putting together a direct mail piece and how the, the prospect would actually read a direct mail piece. I think a lot of that really applies to online as well. Sure. They're not going into an envelope and pulling out the pieces one at a time to see how someone might read it. But anybody on this call knows, you know, how you design that email, whether you do HTML or text, you know, how you how, you know, how you uh, structure your argument in your because the thing is, I I have this one. It's kind of a joke, but it's it's like, you know, when your hand is on the mouse, you know, it's probably about you have about point six seconds to, to for people to lose interest and click off. And in direct mail, when they were, you know, sorting the mail over the garbage can. Um, you have 1.8 seconds. I made those numbers up. Um, but then again, I said 1.8 is three times as long as 0.6. So I think it behooves, you know, anyone who is doing, you know, again, the most cluttered inbox is the one, the, the least cluttered inbox is the one I grew up with, which is direct, is, is the mailbox sitting outside my house. The, the most cluttered is the inbox in your Gmail account or Yahoo account or whatever. So I think, Getting through that clutter is so critical. I mean, subject lines, you know, the, 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 the attention that's not spent to subject lines, again, is crazy. You know, what we had to do with headlines and, and cover and, and outer envelopes and covers to self mailers, which is really the equivalent of a subject line in a way. Um, the care and concern that went into all of that was so, was so, we were so diligent about it. You know, my post last week, the subject line was uh, email marketing secrets from the 12th century. And what, what I was talking about there was my recent visit to Paris. I was at the, I was at the, uh, the top of the cathedral at Notre Dame in Paris, which was built, which was big, started getting built in, I think, 1143, um, AD. And, you know, the, I said, I said the, the, the amount of, that they were able to build this thing without modern technology mm-hmm. just astounds me. And, and I said, it's sort of like doing direct mail. And then, you know, I turned that into a little bit of a joke, obviously. But, um, I said, I, I said, building, building Notre Dame was a little more difficult than doing direct mail. But I will tell you that the, you know, everything had to be so thought through and thought out. And then I came back to my hotel room from Notre Dame that day to a hundred emails in one particular box where I, I, where it's the box where I sign up for stuff. You know, I keep all my emails in one place in one Gmail account. Mm-hmm. And I think I even said in my blog that, that they, most of them just suck. I mean, they just suck. They're just terrible emails. They're, the subject lines are terrible. There's like six or seven within a week from the same sender that's almost identical. I mean, why you think I'm going to respond the sixth time to the same message within a week? I don't get it. I mean, retail is particularly um, uh, big culprits in this area. I just don't get it. I, it's, it's, so, it's so disturbing to me. Um, and it's because, you know, why not? It's so cheap. But it comes at a huge cost. The unsubscribes, the people that go off your list, the people that get sick of what you send. Um, there's nothing about relationship building in any of that. And so, you know, those are kind of the crossovers, direct mail versus online. But I think the lessons I learned that it's almost like because I couldn't, because I was deprived, I was, de- I was, de- I was a deprived young man <laughs> being able to not be able to develop relationships in direct mail because of how expensive it was. 
has been this, I've been free, um, in email to be able to do that. And it's so much fun. Brilliant. And why else do you love direct mail as a marketing channel, Brian? I know that you mentioned there that the inbox is certainly less cluttered. Any other big advantages of direct mail? Yeah, I think the, 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 uh, the, the story you can tell, um, and the way you can weave the story and get it read is so much more powerful. You know, I know a bunch of internet marketers, uh, good friends of mine who have taken what they're doing online and they're turning it into these incredibly, um, um, interesting and almost, you know, provocative prose. And, you know, weaving a story through what we call a magalog or a bookalog or, you know, a 12 page letter, uh, is so much different than scrolling down, um, uh, an email, uh, where it's so easy to, again, to click off where, you know, you're, you know, des- and then if you over design it with too much HTML, you know, too, you over design it too much with, a, with, with, with online, you, you know, people aren't, it's not loading properly. You don't, the images don't show up. Um, I'm a big fan actually of, uh, if you're if you're in a one-to-one relationship with your list, to do much more text email than HTML, um, I think I think text email from from a from a a sender that you know who's developing that relationship is so much more powerful, and that's the advantages of direct mail. It's almost like even though direct mail sometimes is designed, you know, with four-color brochures and and magalogs that look like magazines and all of that kind of stuff. There is something to it that's almost like text as opposed to HTML, which is sort of, I, I, it's not like I just contradicted myself, but I, I really believe this, that I think the most desi- over-designed direct mail still feels like text, is more like a text email than it is an HTML email. And it's that relationship building, it's the story building, um, and storytelling is so critical in all of our creative. Ask any great copywriter uh, where storytelling fits in, in what they do and how they do it. And I think direct mail has a decided advantage in being able to tell stories. Now, again, it's expensive. If you don't know what you're doing, it's very hard to get into. You do need help. But I do think that I'm seeing a lot of people. In fact, I just talked to someone recently who's got an incredibly successful, I won't mention it because it's confidential, but he has an incredibly successful online business. He's selling in a niche that's very, very powerful, very, very um, conducive to storytelling. I mean, the guy's crushing it online, to use it, to, to, to coin a phrase, right? Mm-hmm. But he came to me and he said, you know what? And I, I didn't go seek him out. He was, see, he was seeking me out. And he said, I just think we have such a compelling offer story. Everything we do is so amazing and it fits for direct mail. And he's like ready to take everything he's doing online and create a full-blown direct mail program. And he's got so many of the elements built in. And I think it's wonderful to see something like that. So um, I think direct mail has got an incredible advantage. Now, you know, for certain types of products, you know, for digital downloaded products and things that don't lend themselves to physical product, which you need in direct mail, there's a lot of things that direct mail is not going to work for. But I do think that it's got some incredible advantages. And then the thing you said about the less crowded inbox, you know, direct mail is, is, you know, I, I have one interview on my site that I did with my friend Joe Polish, which is everybody's going right time to go left. And I talk about using direct mail on the back end of online. So in other words, I'm not saying start with direct mail. I'm not saying that direct mail is something that you have to do. But once you have an established online business, the ability to use direct mail on the back end, I think is really uh, something that can really explode your business. Yeah, because they're customers, aren't they? They already know who you are and it's not just junk coming through their door anymore. They're receiving a communication from someone that they already bought from. That's correct. Yeah. That's correct. That's correct. And, and again, it can be real, much more personal and I do think that more online marketers are going to see the power of using direct mail on the back end. And again, I, I can give you, actually, we probably can direct people to all the links to all of these articles, um, uh, at the end here. So, um, but that, that, that interview is on my site. For, for, everything's free. So, you know, I, we can, we can give all that away. Brian, I know that you said earlier that you started off on the list side of the industry. Uh, do you have any tips on renting or buying good lists? You know, it's a great, you know, obviously one of the most important questions because there's a, there's a classic direct marketing rule of thumb 
that says if you have the best creative and the best offer and you mail it to the wrong audience, you've got no chance of success. But if you have a mediocre piece of creative or not the best offer or something that's not completely thought through and yet it goes to an audience of people who are completely targeted for the for the product or service, um, you have a chance of success still. And that's why, you know, that 40-40-20 thing I mentioned before about the importance of of list, offer, and and creative um, varies from place to place. Maybe because I'm not objective, but coming out of the list business, I really think that um, the li- I'm not saying the list is the most important, but you got no chance if if you're not selecting people who are most likely to buy. So um, um, I I'm I'm a big believer in um, uh, in list research, list selection. Um, I think that um, in direct mail there was always a lot more information available on the list before you mailed them. And there was a big distinction in the list business back when when I was doing uh, well, I still do direct mail, but when we were doing direct mail in big quantities. And the big distinction I did a uh, used to teach a two or two day course just on list selection, and it's it's the difference between compiled lists and response lists. And the difference is that a compiled list would be a list of people who are who are put together based on some characteristic. Usually, uh, a compiled list starts with the phone book. And then you overlay information. So I have a, a list of, of names and addresses and I'm able to overlay information on who might be a doctor or who might be uh, someone who lives in a particular part of the country or whatever. Um, whereas a response list are people who've actually responded. So in direct mail, response lists were very expensive. Compiled lists were fairly cheap. In direct mail, compiled lists rarely worked for uh, direct response offers, whereas response lists are where you had to go because you needed people who had responded previously uh, to direct mail offers. So giving you all of that, you know, the idea of, of, of the idea of renting a list as you start looking particularly in email, um, I'll, I'll bet that there's not that many people on this call that are listening that have had really good results in renting um, an email list or buying an email list cold. You know, trying to find an email list that would actually be mailable and then respond to a cold offer without any branding, without any um, endorsement, without anything. That's why affiliates work because, you know, the offer becomes endorsed to a particular list. So um, the, the, the endorsement factor is so much more important. But to me, I, I think cracking the code in email lists to get to response lists of people who've responded to an offer, who've bought products, whether online or offline, is always the top criteria. It's always about response data. So, you know, I'm giving you a very, very broad answer because the list research that we do to figure out which response list to mail have so many characteristics to it. In fact, um, I have an article right behind me on the wall that I, that I put up there, which was an article I did in the late 1980s, early 1990s, which was called data cards guilty until proven innocent. And a data card is what the list industry used to sell lists. It's basically the criteria of what uh, the, the information of what's on a particular list. And I used to say they were guilty until proven innocent because it was just information on a data card that said, these are names of people who subscribe to such and such, who've done this, who've done that. But you have to get underneath the surface of how that name got on that list, like what kind of promotion got it there, um, the source of the name, so to speak, the um, how much they spent, for example, uh, on the product. Um, how recently have they or- ordered? Um, because if they're someone who ordered a product two years ago versus someone who ordered a product three months ago, that's a big difference in response rate. And there's one other concept I'll leave you with, because this is sort of like, a, you know, five minutes on on list selection. There's a concept in direct marketing called RFM. And RFM stands for recency, frequency, and monetary value. And those are the three most important characteristics on any list that you select. Um, and again, we're talking about response lists, not compiled lists. And those three criteria are recency, which means someone who ordered more recently is going to be more valuable and more responsive than someone who didn't order as recent. Uh, of course, there's people who are not in the industry that could be somewhat counterproductive, counterintuitive. 
because they think, oh, if someone responded to an offer, you know, six, uh, 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 three hours ago, they just used up all their money and they're not going to respond again. Well, obviously it's just the opposite. People who are responsive continue to respond and someone who hasn't responded in six months or a year, the address could be bad and they also are not going to be as responsive. So that's recency. Mm-hmm. Frequency is how often they respond. Um, basically, uh, there's a, there's a term in direct marketing and direct mail called multi-buyers and someone who frequently responds, not only responds three months ago, but then they responded also six months ago and they bought two products is going to be worth a lot more than someone who just uh, responded three months ago to their first product. So frequency is a big factor in list selection. And then the third is monetary value, which is how much they spend, um, which may or may not be the number one criteria because sometimes the demographics of a particular person on a list is far more important than the actual amount of money they spend. You know, an example might be if I'm marketing to dentists, the idea that they only spent $10 for a subscription to a dental magazine is not as important of what they spent on the subscription, but the fact that they're a subscriber to the dental magazine, since I need to get to to people who are dentists. Mm -hmm. Um, But put those three things together, recency, frequency, and monetary, that's how we do list selection. That's how we decide what the best names are to mail. So again, this was like a five-minute primer on list selection, but you can see that there's so many factors, and that in the email world, because again, email is so cheap, no one really spends a lot of time on list selection, so that, you know, again, I think you do have to fall back into an affiliate model or an endorsement model, because that's the only way that you're going to get lists that are going to respond. I will challenge people on this call, and I challenge people in the industry, and I challenge myself that there's going to come a time where email lists are going to be uh, much more selectable with a wide more a wider variety of criteria that we are able to find things like recency, frequency, and monetary value within email lists from third parties, and that's when I think we're able to do what I'll, what I'll call cold email marketing successfully. So again, using the same principles that I learned in direct mail, I think can be all applicable to online. Okay, would you test the list before scaling it up? Would you sample it and see if it works and then spend more? Yes, absolutely. Um, in, in, in direct mail, obviously, I mean, in, in email, you can, you can afford to probably, you know, throw out more names at, at the first test because A, the response rates are going to be lower and you need more responses to read it. And B, it doesn't cost you as much to send it. In direct mail, um, the rule of thumb was usually um, you wanted to get somewhere around a hundred responses to an offer. Now we had we had lower priced offers. We had thirty nine dollar type subscription and book offers, and we were looking for about a hundred net orders to determine the the accuracy of how well it listed. So normally we would mail somewhere around five thousand names um, of a particular list, and it usually has to be a really good cross section. You don't want to mail the first 5,000 names on a list. In a direct mail list, if you mail the first 5,000 names in the, in the United States, you'll get the first 5,000 zip codes, which means all the names are going to be biased to the East Coast. Mm-hmm. You, need, you, need a, you need what we call a good cross-section across the entire country. Um, but you take a 5,000-name cross-section, and if that pays out, you, look at, you, know, you get at least 100 net orders. You, whatever your metrics are for what made that a successful uh, mailing again. Remember, we go back to my original premise about everything is measurable in direct marketing. And then, normally, what you would do—these are general rules of thumb—but we would normally roll out to maybe five times on that first rollout. So you'd go from five thousand names to say twenty-five thousand. Mm-hmm. Um, and if there were a hundred thousand names on the list, or even a million names on the list, you wouldn't go crazy with that first rollout because you want to make sure that the twenty-five thousand names look similarly to the five thousand and that they perform similarly as well. And we call that pyramiding uh, on a list in direct mail. And I think the same principles apply in any media. You know, you always want to do some kind of test quantity where you'll be able to get enough read, uh, read uh, you'll get enough orders or responses or clicks or whatever your metric is to be able to read it, to be able to say I'm confident to be able to take another step up on this list. So I think that was a good softball question because I think you kind of, you know, you're smart and you know the answer in terms of you don't want to shoot the whole thing right off the bat. But there's a real good steady approach to pyramiding, as we call it, on any list. 
And whether it's direct mail or other media, I think it's very important. And the same is true, you know, even on TV. You know, we would, um, you know, the same idea of testing to pyramiding. You know, we would look at certain markets and we'd know that certain markets perform like other markets, like the, there are all these demographic things. So there might be a neighborhood in St. Louis, Missouri, that looks like a neighborhood in Spokane, Washington, and we would test one of the two. When I say looks like it, it doesn't, there are other biases in terms of geography, but you would say demographically, uh, psychographically, the income level of the area. So you would test a, a, a TV station in, in this St. Louis, and if it did well, the media buyers would be smart enough to know now you want to test the one in Spokane because it looks similar. Mm-hmm. I'm using that as a very broad example, but you can see the thinking is that you don't want to go crazy. Uh, you want to, you want to do everything in the step by step approach. Sure. Great advice. Brian, could you tell us now about one of your most wildly successful direct mail campaigns? And what was it about that campaign that made it such a success? You know, there's a bunch. I mean, you know, we've had a lot of failures, too. So I wish they were all <laughs> they were all good. Um, um, one that comes to mind, which is a fairly recent one, is a book that we did on diabetes. Um, it was a I told you we do a lot of health information and uh, I don't know about the UK, but in the United States, uh, diabetes is an epidemic. Um, it, you know, it's uh, childhood obesity and diabetes is just rampant. Um, just sugar is just the devil, um, unfortunately. And so um, we had this book and and I, I normally would have, um, I told this as a case history and, and I'll probably t- t- tell it again at Dan Kennedy's Info Summit because uh, this is a great story, but we, we usually research our books to our audience before we go out and publish them. Like we'll do a sampling and say, you know, basically would people be interested in the particular book? But we used a really good, our, our instinct here that, you know, you have a situation where diabetes is, is, is an epidemic. It's what I call a horizontal vertical, which when you find a horizontal vertical, uh, it's 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 magic. And what I mean by a horizontal vertical is that a lot of people live in verticals, whether you are, you know, in a very vertical market of, of some specific um, uh, talent that you have or some specific uh, product or service. And there are certain verticals. Diabetes is certainly a vertical. It's a specific ailment. It's not just general health. So it's certainly a specific disease. But I call it a horizontal vertical because there's so many people afflicted by it. So you knew that there'd be list universes available. You knew that even if it wasn't a list of people who had diabetes, that it was something that would resonate because of, you know, people thinking about <clears throat> their, their, their blood sugar and, and testing their triglycerides. And again, we have a, we, we go out to lists of people who are health conscious who understand this stuff. So anyway, I think the wildly successful part of it came into being because we had a horizontal vertical plus the guy behind the book was actually a copywriter. He was kind of, um, uh, um, his life mission was to kind of help cure the diabetes, diabetes epidemic in the United States. And so he was a world-class copywriter himself. So I had basically the whole thing came together as a book and a piece of copy and, and it showed me how important the marriage of product and creative is that without a great product and without great copy, I can't do anything. I need both. And so I think it was wildly successful because I really understood that I had a passionate copywriter whose life mission was this topic. And I had the, I knew where I could get the lists and the universe um, for a product like this. So that was wildly successful for a variety of reasons. But um, I think it's because it was it was kind of had this built in um, marriage of of creative and and the right product. Um, a lot of wildly successful direct mail campaigns we do are really are contingent on a great sales letter. So making sure that I go for the best copywriters, I don't I don't scrimp on on paying for creative. I think being a cheapskate with creative and copy is a huge mistake. So I, it's, 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 it's brutally important to pay top dollar for top copy. And I've seen it time and again, the wildly successful direct mail campaigns we've done for products that were mediocre the first two times we tried them. And then the third time they went through the roof because of 
a different copywriter, a different copy platform, a different approach, a different uh, way to go about it. And so I, I would say that the most successful direct mail campaigns I've ever done are because of the investment we made in creative copy and copywriters. My final question, Brian, is about online marketing. We've spoken about direct mail. We've also spoken quite a lot about email as well. But is there a place where these two channels meet? We spoke earlier about how channels can assist each other and cross over. So is there a way that your online marketing can assist your direct mail campaigns? Yeah, very much. Um, I think that, that we're only at the beginning of, of how this could, how, the, how they could marry with each other. I already talked a little bit about that interview I did about everyone's going right time to go left. And we mm-hmm. talked about using direct mail on the back end of online prop uh, campaigns and then creating physical product from digital product for longer lifetime value of customers. Um, I think there's also a lot of evidence and we have some ourselves of getting as many email addresses as we can of the people that we're going to do direct mail to and be able to send them an email in advance of receiving their direct mail package, a pre-email, then they get the direct mail package and then you send them a post email as well. Did you see the package? And I think that um, we've seen lifts in response that are pretty significant to the direct mail campaign because we were able to combine both both of those, you know, both of those channels within the same campaign. So it wasn't just one spinning off on the other. It was it was actually working hand in hand in the same campaign. I also think that, you know, taking physical product that has worked in direct mail, creating digital versions of it, offering it in in, in email and then offering a digital version of it um, is something that we've had success with as well. And that's a great merging of the online and offline environments. I think it's really the, the more that you can get email addresses from your direct mail people and postal addresses from your email people, the better off you're going to be going forward because all boats are going to rise if you can, you know, merge the two as often as possible. Um, we're, we're having some nice results now in our direct mail campaigns offering like we'll go, we'll go out with an order card for a direct mail for a book. And then we ask for their email address on the order card. Of course, they're not all going to end up being accurate because people are writing them in and a lot of them are going to be illegible and, and hard to scan and all that. But you still will accumulate a lot of email addresses and you have to make sure that you give them something in return. So give us your email address. We'll sign you up for a free e-newsletter. E- e- make sure it's all content and very valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, and people will give up their email address for value, which people online have known forever, right? I mean, yeah. you know, squeeze, you know, squeeze pages are all about, you know, giving, giving value for access. And I think that direct mail is a great way to get that incredibly valuable email addresses. Imagine going out to a direct mail list of people who bought something through direct mail and paid money for it Mm -hmm. and then ask them for their email address. Now I can communicate with them at much less expensively. And so my follow up can be email as opposed to direct mail. And I've already know that they're buyers going back to RFM. Mm -hmm. I already know that they bought from me their response names. So the, the, we already know that, that direct mail names respond at a higher rate. They have a longer lifetime value they are actually much more qualified than email. Um, therefore, getting as many email addresses as I can on my direct mail names is critical. And then vice versa. I have these email names. If I can get their postal addresses, now we can start marketing to them. But remember, we talked before about what, what the advantages that direct mail might have over email in terms of the personal messaging, the storytelling, all of that. So getting as many postal addresses is incredibly valuable. And I just leave you with this one more thing. Everybody on this call who just does email marketing and they've sold product through online, they probably use credit cards. If they use credit cards, they have postal addresses already. So they're already sitting on a list of people who are actually buyers who they could start thinking about direct mail in a whole different way. And it doesn't have to be millions of names. I mean, we mail millions of names of direct mail. I just did a little direct mail campaign for the Titans event where I had a bunch of VIPs that I wanted to, to email. I didn't have their email addresses. So I, I created a letter 
And I sent them, it was only a couple hundred people, but I created, that's direct mail, by the way. I mean, just because I'm not mailing a million doesn't mean it's not direct mail. And I created a personalized envelope. I created a personalized letter. It was only 200 of them, so I signed them individually. Um, and it's a very high-priced event. So it was worth my time to spend the time and effort to send a first-class envelope as opposed to just send them another email. And, of course, the irony is I didn't have their email addresses anyway. So I sort of had to do it. Mm-hmm. And and it just it's fantastic. I mean, the people responded. I mean, for a thirty five hundred dollar event, you know, one email response was probably worth three direct mail responses because I was able to personalize in such a bigger way. It's great that these two channels can work together so well, both channels on their own, just individually can be great but together you've got a really winning combination and i mean i don't know what the percentage is but i don't think many businesses or marketing people are doing this to its full potential so you'll definitely get an advantage if you do both so brian thank you for speaking with me today and for sharing all this information with us where can we go to find out more about you and also where can we go to find out about your titans of direct response event if we're listening to this before september 2014 where can we go and find out about that Right. So, um, I, I have a, I have a little site up. It's pretty modest. It's, uh, Uh, somehow I couldn't get, I, I was too late to the party to get briankurtz.com, unfortunately. Okay. Um, so it's briankurtz.me. On that site, um, uh, you can opt in. I have an inter- a bunch of interviews on that site. One of them is with my mentor, Marty Edelston, who started Boardroom, who I talked about. Um, that talked about how we built boardroom into a hundred million dollar company. And it's a really, it's, it's, uh, it's an interview that means a lot to me because, uh, Marty was such an important person in my life. So anyway, that's the main squeeze on the page. And then on that page, there's a lot of other interviews that I've done and, and other podcasts and things like that. So a lot of, a lot of information. Um, the, the things I've mentioned today, you know, how paying postage made me a better marketer is on there. um, Everyone's going right, time to go left, about direct mail is on there. There's something on there about newsletters, about the importance of newsletters and how, whether they're print or online, the idea of creating real uh, real content for people and how to do that. I mean, we have a, a newsletter at Bottom Line Personal that still has 400,000 subscribers in print. So I did a whole interview just about that. So there's a bunch of good content there. And then if you want to find out about the event, um, I'll make it easy. I'll give you a link that makes it easy to remember. BrianKurtz.me slash Titans. So if they go to BrianKurtz.me slash Titans, you'll come up on the full um, web page sales letter for the Titans event. Um, it's got registration information. It's got uh, information on every one of the speakers, uh, why they're so brilliant. They're some of the best names, as we talked about. Uh, Perry Marshall is speaking, Joe Sugarman, uh, Jay Abraham, Dan Kennedy, Greg Renker, um, uh, Ken McCarthy, my four top copywriters, Gary Bensavenga. So anyway, um, fantastic event. Um, BrianKurtz.me slash Titans. Um, hope to see some of your folks there. I think it will be one of those events that will explore a lot of the things I talked about today in terms of multi-channel marketing, in terms of um, great copy, what makes for great copy and great copywriting. Also, there's going to be a lot about entrepreneurship. Um, Dan Kennedy, as you know, really preaches a lot about how to build a business and not just how to sell stuff to people. And Marty Edelston, who, who was the titan that inspired me to do this event, um, was one of the best on, one of the most amazing entrepreneurs I've ever met in my life and really taught me a, be- a lot about business building and not just about marketing. And, and the event's going to be a lot about that as well. And if we're listening to this after September 2014, because this is an evergreen interview, it's going to be up for years to come and people may be listening to this long after your event has has already happened. Will there be recordings of this event? Yeah, no, we're definitely going to record them. Um, We're not going to live stream or anything. So um, the people who attend the event will get a really really nice discount on the DVDs. Um, But then we will create um, a DVD product of the event uh, which I think will be amazing. Uh, it won't be as expensive as the event, but I don't think it'll be the same as being at the event. Um, I'm a big networker. No, I hate the word networking. I'm a big contributor and connector. 
Um, I contribute to people and then I connect with them as opposed to just network with them. But I think the caliber of people that will be at the event make it an amazing event. Of course, if you're listening to this after September uh, 11th, 12th, and 13th, 2014, you can't get to the event anymore. So the DVDs uh, will be available. I would, again, encourage you to opt in at briankurtz.me um, because I will I do a weekly email to that list and I'll continue to uh, uh, correspond with that list and I'll make the DVDs available probably on a, as a regular product offering. Brilliant. And uh, Brian, I'd like to just second what you said there. If you can make it, then please do because there's nothing like being at a live event um, and experiencing it live, being there. And if you do happen to be listening to this after the time, after the event has already happened, then luckily you can still get the recordings from the event. And on that note, we'll bring this call to an end. Uh, thank you everyone who tuned in. And if you got value from this episode, please support the show by subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes. And finally, Brian, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Oh, thank you. I, I, Joey, I really, I, it was good to get to know you and, uh, I really love what you're doing. I think you're, uh, you're doing this at such a high level, which is really impressive. So thank you. Thank you, Brian. The Online Marketing Show. Every day with Joseph Bushnell. Helping you to grow your online business by driving more traffic, improving conversion rates, increasing customer value, and getting things done fast. Listen, take action, make money.